ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. You know how we close the week on Hard in the Paint. Me and my brother from another, Mr. Dino Hansen, and we go high-low on the New Orleans Pelicans as we do. Look, this is for if this is your first time listening, and we had a <laughs> lot of folks the last last week who came in and listened, and we thank you for that. But if this is your first time, I'm gonna just tell you like this: this is not a place that you go to hear a hot take. This is not a place that you go to hear uh, somebody blaming things or getting stuff where we're trying to, and we don't work for the Pelicans either. We're not here to rah-rah and lie to to you in that regard. I'm not here to make you feel better or worse about your team, but all we do here when we go high-low is give you basketball. We tell you what the basketball that we watch, we're going to tell you what we see. And so, Dino, welcome back. And brother, we couldn't have had a more interesting way to start the return after the All-Star break than the debacle last night, a 135-105 loss to the lowly Minnesota Timberwolves. Timberwolves have eight wins this season. The Pelicans are responsible for 25% of those eight wins. It's a Minnesota team. My brother, I was playing that without D'Angelo Russell, playing without Malik Beasley. And then you get a night where your two other stars, Ricky Rubio, Carl Anthony Towns, shoot a combined eight of 25, give you only 22 points. And yet, Minnesota scores the most points that it scored in over a year since the last time they played the Pelicans in 2020. <laughs> welcome back. That's a, Welcome back. What a hell of it all. There must have been some break. I don't know what these cats did, but welcome back. D-Grub, give me a second, please, if you will. I need to have something calming in my life. Hold on. Hey, you gotta turn, I can't be paying for that. You got to <laughs> Yeah, the people kind of me. <laughs> We're not paying for it. I had to. I, I, I've been bumping this song literally for a week, and last night I needed that song from Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack more than you could ever imagine. After before we even get to the fourth quarter, and if you notice, I'm tempering my voice for a particular reason, because I don't think people understand that when you're a former player and having been the captain of every team that I've ever played on, when you're a former coach on the high school and collegiate level, in addition to being a radio personality and an actor, you learn how to utilize your voice and predict your voice. So what one can perceive as somebody shouting I can't help the fact that I have a very booming, deep, baritone voice. And it's called passion. 
It's called taking pride in what you do. Let me know if you see anybody on the Pelicans team who takes pride, who gets frustrated, who gets mad, who shows any passion whatsoever for getting your asses dragged. You allowed a Minnesota Timberwolves basketball team to score 105 points in three quarters. Not the whole totality of the game, but you allowed a Minnesota Timberwolves team, excuse me, who had only won seven games on the season. We talked about this before going into all-star break. And let me also quickly piggyback upon something that you said. We have no loyalty to the Pelicans or any NBA team. We understand that certain broadcasters and reporters have to temper what they say because they don't want to ruffle any feathers. But what you get on David Grubbs, hard in the paint, especially when we go high-low on Friday. And there's a reason why we called it high-low for those who aren't basketball aficionados because we understand the importance of movement. We understand the importance of the ball moving as long as with the players moving. High-low is in the offense, how you literally – can break down opposing defenses from an offensive standpoint. You get honesty from us. You get passion from us. You get the understanding and knowledge from us. And we are not, we know it all. So listen, no, that's not what it is whatsoever. But having been in those positions, also, not only are we breaking down games and we are talking about what is wrong with this Pelicans basketball team. We don't stop at just what's wrong and complaining. We're not cantankerous. We're not bitter. We then also tell you how you resolve those deficiencies and liabilities that you have. So we're not just telling you all the bad stuff, but here's the thing about it. You also find that people get upset with our truthful candor. Well, here's the thing about it. We would love to tell you all the great things that the New Orleans Pelicans are doing. We would, we would love, because it messes up our night and our evening and our lives to see this charade of basketball that is being displayed. Fans also need to give themselves more credit because they are astute in understanding whether you know the game of basketball or not. You, you can see the bad. Pro- you know, you know something. There you go. You see the bad product that is there. So we give the fans compliments and, and, and tell them to show more respect for themselves and their knowledge. Stop discrediting themselves thinking, well, maybe it's just me. It's not just you. It is obvious, not only yeah, you to you and to I. Be- you don't have to be an armchair general manager or an armchair coach and, and be able to break down X's and O's to know that this is not a functioning basketball team. It's, I mean, not. it's, it's just not. And it's, it's not a, like I will never, ever focus on wins and losses except in relation to progress. Because I can accept sometimes you, you can look and say, well, my team competed better this year than last year. The, res- the, the, the statistical things show that I, what I wanted to see. We're trending in the right directions. My players are developing, but the record is not the same. 
But that's your expectation level, too, is that as an organization, you know, this is where we expect to be this season. That is not where the Pelicans have been the last two years. That's just not where they where this this team has been advertised. And just to finish on last night, I haven't had this long running probably since we met, since I started covering the Pelicans. This long running saying, play the Pelicans, break a record. And teams come in again. We, you cannot talk about people talk about whether the, the team shoots so good against and they just come in and they having a great night. You gave up two career high performances to the to bench performers. Bench are bench performers on the worst team in the league. And so that's not, not any disrespect or knocking anybody who comes with bench because I was a bench player. So not the, you know, at, at that at that time. Not in high school, not collegially, and early on professionally. But that's not to say that those bench players aren't professional basketball players as well. But they are backups on the worst team in the league. That's that. These are one of them, a late second round draft pick. Another another from the G League, from the G League. So you get these guys, and they come in, smash their career highs, McDaniel's and and Noel. No. smash their career highs. Not even, there's not a point or two above them. And they <laughs> broke them in the third quarter. These dudes busted their career highs in the third quarter. You get the bench. This is, this is unbelievable. The bench from Minnesota had 72. The damn bench, the starter scored 63. And the bench shot 82%. 28 of 34. You allow the bench, the second unit, to go 28 of 34. That is not acceptable at any level to let an entire bench unit do that to you. And you're talking about you allowed Minnesota the highest scoring second quarter season, highest scoring third quarter of the season, highest field goal percentage in any game this season, the most threes they've made in any game this season, the second highest three point percentage of the season. They only had 28 assists on the 51 baskets they scored. What does that tell you? That tells you that you provided no resistance defensively because people didn't have to pass to score. You literally saw guys put on a uniform and just run around. It's almost as if a bunch of crazy wild ants were just running everywhere. They had no purpose of what they were doing. But they weren't even running. No that's idea. part of it, too, is they weren't even running. Well, that's another thing. That's, a, that's another thing, okay? They, I... We would love to do nothing but talk about the level of improvement with this basketball team and this organization. We would love to do that for the listeners. That would make us both extremely happy. But people need to stop getting upset because we are revealing to you what the issues on this team are. Here's the thing about it. Our reaction is based upon their lack thereof action. Be upset because they are not giving us the content the product that you need that says this is winning. This is how you win. This is how the culture is shifting. This is how you play with pride. 
This is how you take care of the basketball. This is how you defend. This is how you rebound. Some of these things that this that, 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 that the guys on this team are doing, we're just talking basic fundamental basketball. We're not even getting into the specifics of X's or O's. We are literally discussing, trying to get people to understand the importance of we are simply talking fundamental basketball. We're not talking anything else beyond that. We don't even have a level of consistency to do the simple things correctly. People want to see a good product. We talked about this in the last podcast. Your mentality, your psyche of understanding, if you go into a season, if you go into a game with the mindset of, well, it's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. Well, we have to learn how to play together. Look at Phoenix. And we talked about this last night and you were cracking up laughing, bro. All right. In that when I called you last night, people, before I could even get a word in, D Grub was laughing because he knew I was getting ready to let it off. I mean, I had magazine clips that I was just ready to unload because of the level of frustration that is there, which makes no sense whatsoever. With that being said, do you really think, for instance, the Phoenix Suns, let's use them, first year with CP3, do you think CP3 went to Phoenix with the mindset of, well, you know, we're going to have to learn each other and we're going to have to take our bumps and bruises. Nobody who is a winner goes into any situation saying, well, you know, there's a chance we might lose this game. I'm looking at the schedule in advance and we're probably going to lose this. Hold on, hold on. If that's your psyche and your mentality, do me a favor and get out of my foxhole because guess what? I'm going to unload that clip on you. I don't want no losers who speak that way. And so the Pelicans body language, the Pelicans movement, the Pelicans organization from top down, it is predicated on losing. You see guys who are lethargic. How many times last night did Brandon Ingram throw lackadaisical passes and then doesn't even get back to defend? This is break down them individually in a second because I got stuff on each one of them. But I, I do want to address this thing about, you know, we talk about youth and we talk about timetables. So we, you take Phoenix, for example. DeAndre Ayton is in his second year. I mean, his third year, excuse me. Number one pick, right? Um, th- t- uh, a couple years ago. Pelicans have a number one pick in Zion Williamson. Yeah. Mikhail oh, Bridge. This is a good point. Mikhail Bridge. So just so y'all know, Dave talked about this last night when I was yelling and ranting and raving last night. So this is good. The Pelicans yeah, are starting a number one, a number two, and a number three draft pick. Eric Bledsoe yes. was also a lottery pick. So you have four lottery picks yes. in your starting five. So then you go over to a team like Phoenix that is starting DeAndre Ayton, who's the number one pick. But Mikhail Bridges is a guy who was a sleeper. A sleeper. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I don't think people thought he was going to be a star coming out of – of college you were hoping that he was going to be able to defend he's shown you that he's a a rising player because yes. he's only in his third year so that's both of those players are younger than brandon ingram both of those players are younger than lonzo ball both of those players are younger than stephen adams or eric bledsoe the only one they're not younger than is zion williams that way correct got chris paul who's got 15 years experience but that's and that's chris paul cam johnson 
Jesus, he's in his second year. Didn't play a ton last year. But he's better than they thought. But then what do you get? You start getting into pros, even though they haven't been in the league long. Jay Crowder's a pro, right? You got to have pros he's on your bench. Pelicans don't good. have pros on their bench. Nope. Devin Booker is only in his sixth year. So we're not talking about, again, another old guy. Devin Booker is 26. Who was 26. also ready, who was also getting frustrated with Phoenix and was ready to vote if they didn't do what was necessary in order to start winning and be a playoff team, which we okay. talked about last year at the end of the bubble. Monty Williams' job became easier after that bubble of convincing the guys to buy in. You go down the rest of that bench in comparison to the Pelicans, which roster construction has been a problem for two years now, whether it's been Alvin Gentry's team or Stan Van Gundy's team. But you go down the rest of that bench, and it's guys like Frank Kaminsky, Cameron Payne, Langston Galloway, Etuan Moore, Dario Sarge, people who have played in the league, who have started games in this league, who have been contributors to wins in this league, and know their roles. Every one of those guys knows I'm not a star. I have a job to do. When you are 19 and you're just coming out in the first round, everybody thinks they're a star. Everybody thinks I'm, I'm going to be the star. And you don't understand having to be a role player because you've never been a role player. When mm-hmm. in your life have you been? And part of being a professional is understanding that there can only be so many stars. So many stars. And there are even fewer superstars who are able to carry teams. So if you ain't in that level, then most everybody is a role player. And that's, again, these are not words that are bad words. And and so you can get a Hall of Fame as a role player. And it's a matter of also understanding your role and accepting that role on your team. Ben as Wallace we, is a role player and he's going to make the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Dennis Rodman is in the Hall of Fame for being a role player. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, you know, you could, you could, quite frankly, you could call Scottie Pippen the ultimate role player. Role player. And excelling, here's the other ask, a component to that. Excelling in that role. Accepting and excelling in that role, which we're going to talk about also with the Utah Jazz not having a superstar on their team as opposed to a star, but yet guys who buy into their roles with the best record in the NBA right now. But, let, but let's be let's let's keep it before you even get to the Jazz. Keep it on teams that are having better seasons than anticipated and have young teams. Charlotte that we talked about. One of the exciting, most exciting teams to watch. Now. Those guys play for each other. They're, they're, they are excited every time they step on the floor. Who are they starting? Mello, rookie, right? Miles Bridges, the first guy off the bench, the sixth man. He's only in his third year. Terry Rozier's only in his sixth year. Gordon Hayward is your vet at 10 years, and that's Eric Bledsoe. That's J.J. Redick, you know. Gordon Hayward's coming off. Coming off two disappointing seasons, and now he's playing great for them. P.J. Washington's second year. Devontae Graham was awful his rookie year, good um, last year, and it's kind of falling back, but he's still in their main rotation. They don't have a bunch of stars on that team either. Let me ask you this. Cody doing his job. Malik Monk is doing his job. Cody Martin is doing his job. Guys are doing their jobs, and that team is better. And let me also ask you this. Have you seen the Charlotte Hornets player introductions and what they're doing in that they are engaged with each other they are they're slap boxing each other they're chasing each other they're jumping on each other this is the way the game of basketball is supposed to be played they're actually liking what is going on 
you can see the rejuvenation with the Charlotte Hornets. LaMelo Ball comes in as a rookie the way a rookie is supposed to come in and just excited about playing the game of basketball. Terry Rozier is no longer even scary Terry like he had been. Terry Rozier is now becoming a team basketball player. It's no longer just about him. You've got guys that have bought in, but it's reflective on the court, the way they play defense. They are actually a competitive basketball team now. And then it starts with that enthusiasm. They've raised their defense. Like, this is how you get up. They were so bad last year on offense and defense. They were just a bad team to watch last season. Like, that, they're 29th offensively, 24th defensively. Well, this year they're 15th offensively. That's progress. They're not top 10 yet, but that's progress. You jump from 29 to 15 in one season. It's progress. You Wait, so hold on. So hold on. So you're telling me that if you were a bad defensive team and you improve your defensive status, you actually might win games? Wait, so that's what you're telling me? That, that this is how this game works? So the better I am on defense, the better chances I have of getting the ball offensively and scoring and possibly winning games? Dave, where did you come up with that idea they, their defense goes from what kind of sick individual twenty four to eighteen. <laughs> they last year they were a minus seven, and this year they're what a are minus they now? Point four, a minus point four. <laughs> so the team is still very young, for the most part. This is still a very young team, but it has in certain positions, like with a Bismack Biombo, a guy who's a journeyman at best. Mm-hmm. He is also a guy who understands. I ain't getting touches tonight. I'm not doing this. I got to do these things. But the rest of these guys are guys who've never won anything before. Where have they won? But they play like they're supposed to win. They believe they're going to win on a nightly basis. So I'm not trying to compare the Pelicans to the elite teams. I'm looking at the young teams. You can those say the Denver teams, Nuggets are a relatively young teams, team. Those same teams were at the same level that the Pelicans were. The Pelicans had the same opportunities that these other rising teams had the Portland Trailblazers are doing it without C.J. McCollum. We could literally go through every team that was considered equal with the New Orleans Pelicans and see how they have progressed and moved forward. And the Pelicans are still stuck in quicksand, regardless of who the coach is and what you have had on your team. And not to mention the Pelicans have had, which would you were alluding to, have had more first round picks on their team now than these other teams that are winning. I mean, you just look, effort changes everything. The Knicks were bad offensively last year. They're still better than they were last year. They were, they, they've gone, risen up. And defensively, they jumped from 23rd to 4th. The Knicks don't have any stars. Not a single None. one. And you talk about, and Julius Randle is a good player. He is a talented player. But Julius Randle is not a star. He's not a generational talent no. that will change the landscape no. of your team. No. And that's the best player on that team by far because everybody else that you talk about in your main rotation is either a rookie or second year player and Alfred Payton. But what do you have on the bench? <laughs> you got Derek Rose, a veteran who now knows he's not a star anymore. He knows his role. You got Todd Gibson who knows his role. You surrounded your young players that you're trying to develop with an Austin Rivers who whether love him or hate him, Again, a veteran of this league. Veteran. Who has 
figured out what he is. I'm a scorer off the bench. That's what I do. So, again, you, you make the mistake, if you're David Griffin, of taking your youth that you have in the starting lineup, which is fine. You're supposed Great. You want to have three guys under 23, four in the starting lineup? Fine. But you can't have a bench full of guys under the age of 23 around them because all that's, that's a bunch of – that's too many people trying to figure out what a winner is what their their own identities are, what their own place in the league is, and you're doing that in a season where we're the rest of this way. The Pelicans have 11 scheduled practices. 11 scheduled practices with a team this young. So you tell me if you were David Griffin, knowing what you knew already about this season, knowing what you had around these guys, and you signed Winyan Gabriel, who hasn't hasn't played minutes, when you have a Nicola Melli that you can't play because he refuses to score, when you have, a, you know, basically a bench that goes three deep, essentially, depending on who the three are that night, because you don't have any other options. That failure starts with management. And that's the product that you're seeing on the floor began, like you alluded to, at the top. We've talked about this for the longest time. And I think people tend to forget that even when Griff was in Cleveland, LeBron had issues with David Griffin in Cleveland, okay? That being said, what you are seeing is a byproduct of what has taken place in the front office in regards to the way they go about doing business and handling everything. They, you know what's really disheartening for me? is the fact that you take and you literally take other teams coming up in your arena. And that's the talk. And you know, people don't understand this. And with us being in locker rooms, we know this. Other teams let other players know on other teams, when you go to New Orleans, you can expect to have a career night. New Orleans in the Smoothie King Center is a career night. Builder or if they come for see you, players, you go, you gonna okay. have a night if they if they're in town or out of town, it doesn't matter. You gotta feel pretty good about. There's nobody that the Pelicans are in position to look down on because all the teams that do have slightly worse records than them have beaten them. Have beaten them. Now, let me say this, because I don't want to keep taking fans' hopes away and them tweeting us and getting upset with us. Because we're telling the truth. Let's take a look back at the Pelicans team. And this is really simple. This is not hard. This is not brain surgery. Let's look back over the years of the Pelicans basketball team and when they were successful and what did they have on that team when they made the playoffs. They had alpha dogs who were leaders on that team that did not like the taste of losing. So, when you had CP3 and David West. And then the last time again was when you had Rajon Rondo on that team. Who on this team do you have and you can depend upon to say they're going to get in somebody's ass on the court or in the locker room? And, and, you know, and, and people see you getting aggressive and they take that like it's a bad thing. If you and I are on the court, you know I'm better than what the hell I'm performing. 
I know you're better than what the hell you're performing. It is my responsibility to get in D Grubb's ass. It is D Grubb's responsibility to get in Dino's hands and ass and question, what are you doing? Where's your heart? You saw Steph Curry last night. You see Steph Curry in that frustration with his teammates and saying, and then you see guys in that huddle like Andrew Wiggins looking off and not looking at Steph Curry. Well, what you are finding out is everybody ain't about winning. Nope. Everybody's not here to win. And I, hey, every job is a job to somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is my job. I come to work. Well, there's a difference between coming to work because there are people at your office. Whatever you do, there are people who come to work. They show up on time. They show up. They do their job, and that's it. But then you know there's the people who stay overtime because they're they're trying to get a jump. There's a kid, you know, the person who says, I want to be, if you're at a law firm, I want to be a partner by the time I'm 28. There's some of those people. They set goals. They're engaged. They want to be better. They want to be winners. You need both. That's what it takes. You need both. You need people who show up every day and do their job that you can count on. And that's the Pelicans problem right there, too, is that you add those. You you don't know from night to night what to expect from players. So if I don't know what you're going to give me tonight, a baseline, not your average, you know, you know not your, I don't need you to get your scoring average every night, but I should know what your level of intensity is. Your level of competition from a night to night basis should be the same. The effort, your competitive spirit, yes. your, your, and that's not what you see during the course of a game. They're not able resolve. to maintain it through the course of a game. That by the your second resolve. quarter, they were done. By the second, the middle of the second quarter, they were done. Last night, the first 11 points, Zion scored nine of the first 11. They came out with some kind of semblance, as we talked about prior to the All-Star break. This, and here's the other thing. We gave people a checklist of what to look for, of what the Pelicans were going to have to be like and do coming out of the All-Star break. Nothing, and I mean nothing, you, nothing, nothing, nothing of that was done. Nothing, okay? Dave, you went from being in the first quarter where you were saying, okay, here we go. This is the way you need to move. This is the ass whipping that you need to give a lowly worst basketball team in the league to let people know the second half of our season is not going to be what our first half was, what last year was. We're going to be engaged. We're going to play with energy. We're going to play with passion. We're going to rebound. We're going to defend. We're going to do all those little things to help us win. Before you know it, that 16, 17 point lead was gone and it never returned. You go into the locker room trailing. You had a double digit lead in the first half and you go into the locker room trailing by seven. Trailing by seven. Seven. Six or seven, six or seven, something like that. Okay. And then at home, and then at home with fans in the arena. Now, here's the funny thing about it. I told you this last night. I was watching the game and I've been doing this a lot lately. I've been watching the Pelicans play on the opponent's network. So I've been watching the opponent's network on purpose. If you could have heard 
how the broadcasters for the Minnesota Timberwolves were, 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 were speaking on the T-Wolves can't get comfortable. They can't get complacent because the Pelicans have talent. They were trying to do what they can to build the Pelicans up in the third quarter because there were even periods where it became laughable to them. They were just like, you know, they got young talent. You got all stars and so on and so forth. And every time they were trying to make this a game from a broadcaster's perspective, the Pels gave you nothing, nothing. Now, you said something that I didn't know of last night when we were on the phone speaking. At the end of the third quarter last night, what were the Pelicans fans in the arena doing who are happy to finally be back out in public in the arena? What were they doing at the end of the third quarter, Dave? Leaving. <laughs> like, you only have a 3,500 fan capacity. And everybody, every one of those people is like so happy to be outside the house. To be doing what they've been waiting. Like, it was 1,700 for so long. So you had... Seven, eight thousand season ticket holders who had no chance of getting into a game. Right, been given this opportunity. The first game after the break against a bad team that, like, like, like anybody would. You say, "Man, this is gonna be it tonight." Yes, and they're booing and they're leaving. (laughs) They're booing and they're leaving. Now, leaving, leaving, leaving. This is a franchise that two years ago. Or three years ago, when they made the year they made the playoffs, that was, place they were was doing so bad in the arena that Alvin Gentry had to stop having his name announced. You remember that? Announced, yes. And they yes. did that through the playoffs. They were still not announcing the head coach's name. Here we are three years later, and a team during a pandemic can't keep his fans, man. And it and it's, it has nothing other to do because if you look at social media every night and there are people who are mad at this and mad at that, but ultimately the common thread amongst everyone on social media is I at least want them to try, to try to look like they're trying. And when that is evident, when that comes through this TV screen and you ain't even in the building, in the building, you can feel the energy. You can feel the energy uh, that being bad. You can, you can see the shoulders slumped. You can see the guys not invested in what's going on in the court. And that is the product that you, you, you ended up with. So you, you talk about this team and I, and like last night is, is a perfect example. We've seen this all year with Zion Williamson have great quarters. And then the team go away from him because they don't understand how to create opportunities for Zion. It's not just the shooting. What, what I really want people to understand, we talked about this last night, the reason teams like Minnesota that have come in averaging 12 threes a game and shooting below the league average can come in and shoot almost 50% from three against the Pelicans and have guys who are not three-point shooters make looking like Ray Allen is because defensively you are allowing people to get comfortable. Like Jake Lehman had, had his first three threes that he made there was nobody within five feet of him. Nobody. No shots. Nobody anywhere near him contesting any shot, making so, it uncomfortable and difficult for him to even think about taking a shot. So know your personnel. Again, we start with that all the time. Know your personnel. Know who you are guarding. You don't leave Jake Lehman wide open. You. This is a team that can't shoot. Anthony Edwards 
who can't shoot a lick is all about driving. And so he gets enough confidence to put up 22 shots, almost doubles his scoring average, and he's shooting floaters in the lane now because you've given him enough confidence. And like I said, because they're not getting assists, nobody was scared of driving on you. No one was scared. You had no weak side defense for the Pelicans. You had no collapsing for the Pelicans. You did nothing to deter the Minnesota Timberwolves mindset of doing anything that they wanted to do. You also know Chris Finch had a little chip on his shoulder that he too wanted to beat the New Orleans Pelicans last night. But those who may not remember Chris Finch, he was the assistant coach. There are former Pelicans assistants who are on that Minnesota staff. Okay, so Anthony Edwards, as a rookie, was averaging 14 points a game and last shooting night. Horribly shooting horribly. Shooting horribly, horribly, okay? He couldn't get picked up on a park and ball, okay? He puts up 27 last night on the New Orleans Pelicans. We also talked about this last night, Dave. Weren't the Minnesota Timberwolves laughing at the New Orleans Pelicans last night? They were yes. laughing. yes. In third quarter on, they were, they were, they were, un, I don't think that they could believe how easy it was. I don't, to them, I think it was like, are we really doing this? Like, is <laughs> this what, are they going to let us keep driving to the bucket like this? Are, are they going to do this? And they're laughing. They're like watching the Pelicans throw the ball out of bounds. Timberwolves are terrible defense. And they had what? Something like they, they, I think they, again, against the Pelicans, they just had something like, double-digit steals, high double-digit steals in both of those games. They don't steal the ball from people. That's not a good defensive team. The Timberwolves can't steal a ball from a kid, but they steal everything against the Pelicans. It, it makes no sense. And so you can't say that you're seeing oh. something better. Every, You know, it's like – I'm going to go through – let's go through these individuals, okay? Because we're going to start with – Okay, we go through the I, got, I have to start with Brandon Ingram. But, oh, let me finish the Zion Williamson thing. So Zion, in first quarter, four for six in the first quarter. Seven shots the rest of the game. Inexcusable. Seven the shots rest the rest of the, of the game. game. Inexcusable. And, was, but and this these is things your are, superstar defining player. Those And that that's on the team. That's on the team. That's on the coaching staff and the players. But what's on Zion – you got five boards last night. That ain't it. That ain't it. Because Unacceptable. You were not a deterrent yourself defensively. You weren't forcing missed shots. You weren't contesting people properly. You weren't rotating. You didn't block a shot. You didn't get a steal. You didn't make an impact when you weren't scoring. And that continues to be the negative for Zion Williamson. Yes, sir. He, he is as responsible as anybody else on his team for a lack of yes, commitment sir. to defense. I agree with you when it comes to the coaching staff putting you in position. I agree with you when it comes to the players also being cognizant of making sure that you're getting touches, you're getting the ball in scoring positions. As a point guard, that's your responsibility to direct traffic and get guys in scoring positions. But ultimately, at the end of the day and at some point, Zion has got to decide, let me get in all of y'all ass. And this, you know, and this is reminiscent of, I'll never forget, and I know you remember the situation, Shaq specifically was talking about the mismatches he used to get. And Derek Fisher and them were just jacking up shots. 
jacking up shots. And they asked Shaq, in those situations, how did he turn it around? He goes, whether it's in the huddle or whether it's in the locker room. I go to every player that's on the perimeter and go, shoot the ball again. I dare you to shoot the ball again and don't get me the basketball. Shoot it again. Go ahead. Zion has got to all of a sudden become as big of an animal as his body is. He's got to. Because he's unfortunately, be unfortunately, he's playing with a group of guys that don't get it. They just don't get it, Dave. So now he has to start enforcing his will. He has to. It's to it's, he has to stop being polite. And, and, it's, you, and he has to stop doing that with the opponent as well. Because still, all of those, those nine shots are right around the rim. He's shooting them where he wants to get to. He's get, when you get him the ball, he's still getting the shot he wants. But he's got to establish his position hard. You know, so he's got to post harder and open up and create with that intent. Yes. With intent. intent. Drive his man into the basket and open up. Basic with basketball. purpose. Yes. Intent and purpose. Intent and then if and you purpose. don't get it, you come get it. You come get it because you can face up. But I got my stuff. My biggest criticism is for the guy I think. Look, and I'm not saying it's come up this week. Everybody's saying trade Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram can't be the guy. I will say this. I don't think Brandon Ingram is ever the guy. No, he's never going to be the guy on your team. He was never the guy last season. He was the guy. He was the scorer on this team. Yeah, he was was the the scorer on this team. But he's never going to be that guy. Mm -mm. It's not in him. But these are my problems with Brandon Ingram. And I, I said this a long time ago. Brandon Ingram's game is not with dribbling. The more dribbles he gets, the worse of a player he is. He is still not understanding how to move without the ball. And there was there, and also, he does not read the defense and make the adjustment. The Pelicans didn't do it as a staff, and he has to do it as well. What A lot of times what we saw last night was that Minnesota decided we're going to double Brandon as soon as he catches it, right? They were mm-hmm. sending Rubio right over to help as soon as the ball goes to Ingram. Well, what do you do in those situations as a player, as a scorer? The first thing you do is you change who has to double. Because if I catch it up top, I know it's going to be Rubio. I know it's another guard who's coming. I don't want two guards near me because if I have to put the ball on the ground and I'm 6'8", there's a likelihood that's going to get stripped. Yeah. Yeah. I want to change this so that I get a big coming out on that double. I want I want Zion's man coming over to me on that double. I want Steven Adams' man to come over to me on that double because they can then come over, release, and you create an opportunity for them to score. If the defense goes back and chases or switches, then you have your one or two dribbles to get to your spot, elevate, and knock down your shot. But he still repeatedly, last night he didn't, no one made the adjustment either on the bench or the players just didn't think about it, of, of either changing where the catch began for him or making sure that he caught the ball on the move. He was catching the ball in stationary positions. And to me, that is the worst, unless it's catch and shoot, that's the worst way for Brandon Ingram to play. Let me ask you this. And I thought about this last night as well as this morning. But... Do you think that maybe 
as sad as it may be, and as much as SVG has conveyed this message to everybody on the importance of defense, maybe the guys on this team have just tuned them out because they play like they don't care. They play like they don't hear any of this. They play as if they have no sense of basketball IQ. They play as they have no sense of pride. They play with no passion. They play with the fact of not understanding there is no tomorrow. You have to do this now. We also talked about this right before the All-Star break, and I mentioned this to you. Our fans thought that the Pelicans were just going to flip a switch all of a sudden. They don't even know where the light switch is in the room to flip the switch because other teams are going to sit down and not flip the switch. There are other teams who know where the switch is and how to flip it. That being said, maybe, and I'm looking at the body of work, maybe you just have guys on this team, and we even saw some of the questions where people were like, you know what, maybe we just need to go with Kyra. Maybe we just need to go with Nalls. Maybe we just need to go with these young guys and, and go that route because apparently – Something, Dave, something is not registering here. They're guys that, they're guys that don't compete. And, and, and it starts, I mean, look, it just seems to me ever since Brandon Ingram said that thing, I'm going to dominate everybody in front of me. His game has been more inconsistent. And you can look at the averages and everybody can say they still look the same as last year pretty much. But again, numbers versus impact. He's not having the same impact on a nightly basis. He's And especially, again, he said he was the one who said, I don't like having used the term two-way player because you're supposed to play both ends. He makes no impact on the defensive end of the floor. None. He's He is irrelevant on the defensive end of the floor. And also, him making that statement last year, what makes people think? Because we used to use this as motivation. You know, we talked about Coach Rob and coaches in our past who use things to motivate us. If you don't think other players remember him making that statement and they come out with this chip on their shoulder of, oh, if you ain't going to do it and nobody's telling you and you're not losing and and you have this culture where your your vice president of basketball says this is you got to earn your minutes and everybody's looking at guys like Eric Bledsoe who at this stage, Eric Blessel went, what, one for eight last night? One for eight and still played 30 minutes and gave you as many points as he did, rebounds, assists, everything. He had more fouls than he had point any statistical category. But you remember the heat that I took when I told people who Brandon, who, 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 who Eric Bledsoe, who Eric Bledsoe was when we got him? Everybody was like, oh, man, we're going to be this great two-headed monster in the backcourt. And you and I, the first podcast we did of the season, we both said, if the Milwaukee Bucks, who is a championship caliber pursuing basketball team, were willing to let him go, that should have resonated with you saying, okay, they're willing to let him go. That's because he's not that guy. That's he's going not, to they get. don't think he can get them to a championship. So that's why you let that guy go. So, you know, George, and I know that there are folks who say, well, what if they had kept George Hill? That doesn't help either. George Hill is a professional. Absolutely. But he's been hurt all year and he's at that age. He could have, he would have been limited defensively. He doesn't help your defense. 
He might have had a better locker room presence, certainly. But the defense is no better with George Hill on the floor nope. than it is with Eric Bledsoe, really. But it can't be much worse with Eric Bledsoe, who is one of the worst this year rated guards defensively in the entire league. But he's – and I, my problem with Josh Hart, and it's not Josh Hart's fault, is that he can't be leading your team in rebounds. Josh Hart can't this be grabbing 13 boards. Because what that means is transition is not happening. None. He cannot turn you into a transition team with the boards that he gets. You need Zion to be getting the <laughs> – this, this is what – remember at the start of the season, what does Stan say? The people I want getting the defensive boards, Steven Adams, Lonzo, Zion. Those were the guys who were supposed to get the ball in the defensive transition. That's not happening. Those guys aren't getting those rebounds. So if that's not happening – and Josh Hart is ending up with 13 boards, that means your tempo is down. And if your tempo is down, and we're not talking about pace, that's about how fast they shoot the ball. Right. How that's... fast you get into the offense. How are you getting into the offense before the defense is set so that maybe you start them with the wrong guy guarding the wrong person? Well, you, you have the defense. Give people understand. That's where you have the defense chasing and trying to figure out where they need to be and who they need Where's to be. Where's my guy? They're sizing it up. That's where you want to catch them. In the That's early what part we're of talking the shot. about. You're looking for that in the early part of the shot clock. If you yes. don't get that, then you go into your standard offense. But the Pelicans aren't doing that. No. They're not getting into early offense. And so if you don't get your early offense, then by the time you get into your set, you're doing it with 11 seconds on the clock. And this is a team that has shown you it doesn't move quickly in that regard. You don't see guys cutting without the basketball. We talked about this last night. All the things that any coach would tell you when you see things start to break down, when the clock is getting shorter, you don't see somebody screen and go away. You don't see on ball, um, uh, or I mean, off ball screens for other players. You don't see cuts. You don't see back doors. You don't see the basic things to find those soft spots in a defense and you're and the only guy that you have that will go downhill nonstop in Kyra Lewis and you got and I'll give Kyra Lewis and Naw a bunch of credit for last night. Two guys come in, they get 21 points on 22 shots, but that's hey, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. Six assists, two combined turnovers, two blocks, and Kyra gets you three steals. That's effort. They, they, that's effort. There you go. They play even though you're getting your asses dragged across the floor. They still came in, they ran, they pushed, they played with effort, they played with passion, and that is what is lacking from everybody else on this team. They don't play like my coach at Oregon used to say, Coach Libin, love that man to death. Coach Libin said, you need to play like your ass is on fire and you're trying to get to the water. They don't play that way. They play with no Effort, which drives me and so many others, yourself. It literally is disrespectful to the game of basketball, if you will, that you literally are perfectly fine going on the court, playing in the manner or showing up because that's all you're doing is showing up. You're not playing. You're showing up in the fashion in which you are and you let somebody walk in your house and tell you, look here. Not only are we going to take all your shit, but we telling you we're going to take all your shit and you ain't going to stop us. And, you and we might stay there. here for a while. We're going to eat your, out your food. We're going to eat your food. We're going to take a nap. 
and you ain't gonna do a damn thing. <laughs> and that, and that's exactly what you do. You let them come in here and do all of that. And it's just now it's gonna live in infamy. Is Stan Van Gundy saying one thing about the New Orleans Pelicans is that we will not be punked. These dudes are getting punked on a regular basis. They are getting yeah. out physical and just the Minnesota is not any smarter than the Pelicans. Those players are no smarter than the Pelicans, but they give more effort. And this is what you constantly say when you look at the other teams around the league and why they are better, that they, they are there to compete on a nightly basis. And this Pelicans team, you could talk about people say, Oh, look, Jackson Hayes, he had 11 points last night. Yeah. He went five for five. He had his dunks. But he only had one rebound again, defensively. Where is he? He can get dunks. We know he can do that, but can he contribute in another way? And then when you talk, I go back to Griff on this thing. I mean, I'm about to we go about I'm about to go through a list, and I'm gonna get your opinion on each one of these items. But I'm gonna okay. say this on Griff too: is that you can't say you have to earn minutes and not have a real competition. Then you have to have a real competition for those minutes. Then if you say that I have to earn them, because if I'm in practice, if I'm Kyra Lewis Jr. If I'm Nikhil Alexander-Walker and I come to practice and I bust my ass in practice every day and I watch Eric Bledsoe slow-footing it and I watch Eric Bledsoe shooting air balls or hitting the backboard so hard that you can hear it on television and I'm still sitting over here on the bench when the game is competitive and then you want to bring me in when it's not, then your word means nothing. So either it's the coach Either my question is, coach, are you blind and not seeing what's happening on the floor? Or my question is, are coach, are you just a figurehead and the guy in the front office is determining who plays on the floor? And if either one of those is the case, the Pelicans are doomed. Ask the question, because this is beyond frustrating. Didn't Stan Van Gundy also say the practice before this game yesterday was one of the worst practices he's seen in his professional career. Do you know how long Stan has been a coach in the league? Bro, and that practice that was the worst became a game that was the worst. When was the last time they you think literally beat somebody by 30? Come on, man. They literally leave a bad taste in your mouth. And let me tell you, if Griff is pulling the strings, the players know that no matter what Stan Van Gundy says, and that's what it looks like, there's a disconnect somewhere, all right? Competing for minutes, and as you stated, competing for minutes, and and you know, since Nikhil became a Pelican, I have been a Nikhil Alexander-Walker fan, not just because of me knowing him personally, but the way he played the game. I am willing, and you've heard Coach Rob say this. We talked about Coach Rob from Carr last night, who also coached me when I was playing AAU ball in the beginning. Love Coach Rob. There are consequences to your actions or lack thereof actions. If you can't play with passion and with effort and energy, I know exactly how to resolve that. You I would sit. rather you go sit. sit down. That's it. This is not up for debate. You have guys who have earned the right to be on the floor. And there is no reason why they should not be getting those minutes. And especially when you do put them in the game 
which is non, in, which is now inconsequential of what they do out there, and they are still busting their tails. That right there speaks volume, and that explains why these guys would be playing. So, if Griffin's calling the shots, the players already know, which is why they're tuning Stan Van Gundy out. If Stan is calling the shots. Now his word means nothing to them because what you say and what you do are two different things now. And we see the problems with this team. A good winning culture does not behave nor perform in this way, Dave, at no level. It just does not happen. There's still dysfunction in that organization. And that's it's, it's and this, just, you change general manager, you change vice president, you added all these other folks, and I commend them for their hiring practices. I commend the Pelicans for their hiring, and I think they have real competitors. You ain't going to tell me Trajan Langdon isn't a competitor. I know he's a competitor. I know Teresa Witherspoon is a competitor. I know Swint Cash is a competitor. I know Stan Van Gundy's a competitor. Yes. And, and so I don't have, you know, everybody said, well, they hired the wrong. I don't know if you hired the wrong coach. Because, again, I can't judge Stan Van Gundy based on how this roster was put together because the moment I saw this roster, I thought it was bad. It didn't matter who was going to coach this team. The mix makeup of the roster I thought was bad. So I, I'm not going to give him that. I'm not going to penalize him for the fact that he's only going to have 11 practices the rest of the year. And you can't teach a team this young with only 11 practices. And people say you want to get in-game court time. And I understand what you're saying, but basketball – is not a game at time, especially in this season, that you can learn on the fly. If you don't understand your defensive responsibilities, this is why you end up with what you end up with. And in practice is where you're supposed to instill those. So I will give him that. And I'm not saying this, these are not a whole pass, because like we said, offensively, the strategy has been bad at times. Rotations don't make sense at times. So there are certainly things that the staff that I disagree with. But I don't think his defense is outdated because it's what the Bucs have done for the past several – you have to take away something in the NBA. You mm -hmm. have to take away something. The fact is they can't stop anybody from getting to the paint, and that's been the issue since last year. But it, ain't just been la but it ain't just been last year. That's been their problem forever. Other than Drew Holiday being a good on-ball defender himself alone, the Pelicans' defense has always been – Crap, except for, hold on, let me go back there, except for when Monty Williams was still the head basketball coach of the New Orleans Pelicans because they played like they played defense on a string. They played preventing guys from getting to the lane. They played team defense. But when did that Since make, who made the difference in that? And remember the dude, this tells you again how effective one guy who knows his job, Quincy Pondexter that year, who, again, not a star, not nope. even a guy who would you who was ever in consideration for sixth man of the year. Nope. But that the year he hurts himself, and the Pelicans the next year thought that was the most important loss on the roster. Quincy Pondexter, because he held that team together when they made their push to get into the postseason. So that tells you again, a guy like when we talk about the, the, the Memphis Grizzlies, that the, the grindhouse teams. When you have a guy like Tony Allen who never averaged double figures, I don't think in the league, couldn't shoot a jumper to save his life. But he makes winning plays. There you he go. Makes winning, he does the thing that, that you knew he's going to be the best defensive player on a team that had Mike Conley, who was a great defender, that had Marcus Gasol as the defensive player of the year, 
But Zach Randolph wasn't no defender. He impacted the game. Matter of fact, and it's funny you mentioned that, speaking of today's basketball game, you know who else has that exact same impact, and they have been, and they have been stating this ever since they lost him in Boston. Who have they been without? Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. Is he a superstar? No, he is not. But he does all the things that you need that impacts a game. He defends, he rebounds, and yes, his scoring percentages have increased, but he is still who he is in his DNA. He's He's a a tough, hard-nosed, role-playing dude, and that's the reason why Tatum and Brown and them are able to do what they can do because they know Marcus Smart will take care of everything else. And they have talked he's about the it in Iggy, Boston. You know what I'm saying? Like, you go through time, he's the Iggy, he's the Bruce Bowen, he's the what you fill in that the Shane Battier, the guy who comes in and does what nobody else can or is willing to do. And, and who so do the Pelicans, Pelicans don't have that guy? There you go. You can say it's Josh Hart, but Josh can't impact the game nope. in enough ways. He's not a natural scorer. He can't. He can. He, you can't depend on him from. And he's not a stopper defensively. He will nope. give you effort, but he can't stop people because he's just not long enough. He's not quick enough. So you, miss. you don't have that guy. You have a guy. You have a team that's built of. And I'm not saying this as who they are as individuals, but you have a losing mentality because you have people who have never won anything. And if you have a locker room full of people who ain't never won nothing, not one of them can tell you how to pass. It's like being in class with a bunch of dummies. If you put all the D students in class and they got to tutor each other, chances are everybody's getting Ds. They're going to stay. They are going. They are who they are. If you got a classroom of Ds teaching Ds, you gonna stay at these, okay? And that's why the Pelicans are where they are. You don't have a glue guy that will do any and everything that you need to win games, and you don't have an alpha male on this team leading and holding other guys accountable as well as themselves. You, there's only so much a coach can do. Where is your personal pride to say i've had enough of this shit i'm sick of it you gotta own it you have to own it and the comments from the players every night and again this has been for years this goes back even to when ad was here the comments from players every night it's man we couldn't make shots tonight and they made their shots tonight (laughs) there's a reason for both there is a reason for both they They're made shots because you ain't defending. You, made you ain't sport. making shots because you ain't playing smart basketball. Because you turn <laughs> the ball true? over and because you're constantly <laughs> taking the ball out the damn net because you're letting the other team score. <laughs> Nobody's bench should be dropping 72 on your head and shooting 84%. Nobody's bench. They're laughing at you, bro. In the third, they were laughing the at you. The Timberwolves are laughing at you, and you're saying, we didn't hit shots tonight? <laughs> oh, you didn't meet their level of competition. If people talk about where they play up and down to the level. No. That you can be, look, the year the Bulls won 72 games, they <laughs> lost to the Denver Nuggets, and the Nuggets were the worst team in the NBA that year. 
the Nuggets won, I think, 15 games that season, maybe. And the Bulls, 72 and 10, lost to the Nuggets. They were in the middle of a tough, like a 20 something game. They were about to challenge the Lakers' 33 game win streak. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they lose to the Nuggets, which were terrible. The Nuggets were giving up like 140 points a night in the 90s. This is when, when they were playing um, with uh, Paul Westhead. So, yeah, you can beat Utah. Cool. That can happen. Fine. But you ain't beat Dallas. You done lost to Detroit. You done lost to the, the, these terrible teams. You split with Chicago. You lost twice to Minnesota. So you're losing. So you can take that little Utah win, and you can talk about the comeback versus Boston, another team that was playing shorthanded. You're playing shorthanded teams every night, and the Pelicans are not <laughs> shorthanded most nights, and you're still nice? getting beat when teams are missing not just reserves. They're missing two of their top three scores. You're getting drubbed. You're getting drubbed. You're allowing teams to score 128, 125, 135. Bruh, that is insanity. That's insane. You're not playing Steph, KD, and Clay. You're playing the Minnesota Timberwolves. You're playing the Bulls. You're playing the, like you're you're playing bad teams, and you allow bad teams to look like they're NBA title contenders. Okay, so let's do this. Can we give the listeners some hope with the upcoming games? No, <laughs> no you cannot. So you got Cleveland tonight. That's not Colin Sexton. Colin, Colin Sexton is averaging thirty. The, the Cavs have won four out of five. All right, the Cavs come in four out of five. <laughs> right? Cavs are hot. Colin Sexton averaging 30 points a game in the last five. 30 points, five assists, two steals. He's going to kill him. <laughs> and then you got next to him, Garland. And Garland's averaging 16 points. And then you got <laughs> Allen up front, Jared Allen up front. And Jared <laughs> Allen's playing. The only other guy in the league matching Jared Allen's production this year is Rudy Gobert. She was like, Averaging in 14 points, nine boards, shooting better than 60%, and blocking almost two shots a game. Rudy Gobert's the only center, other center doing that. And then you got JaVale McGee on the bench as another big who's going to come in and be active and block shots. You got Larry Nance Jr. who's going to Who play. knows they're going to get points tonight because they, gonna they don't run. have anything. They're going to run. They're going to block the shot, and then they're going to get out and transition. Larry Nance Jr. can guard three, four, and five. So he's going to be all over the place. He's going to be touching, getting deflections. He's going to be getting steals. He's going to be rebounding. He's And he can pass. And he's shooting 40% from three. So Wait. he's going to – who's not going to get – C.D. Osman might get 35 tonight. Wait, D-Grub, D-Grub, we're supposed to be giving our listeners hope. Man, look, let's go after <laughs> – okay. So then you – after Cleveland, Clippers, Portland, Portland, Denver, Lakers, Denver, Dallas – at Boston. Okay. Show me the win. Show me the win. Show me the win. Because you're playing against the Clippers, the number three offense in the NBA. Portland has the number six offense in the NBA. Denver has the number five offense in the NBA. The Lakers are number 17, but they're the Lakers. And Anthony Davis is going to be healthy. And LeBron is going to come in there. And he's going to do what he does. And he's going to beat you. Then you play the Nuggets again with that number five. Then you play Dallas, which you ain't beaten two years. And every time Dallas sees you, they drop 130 on you. <laughs> so let me back in the building and get 130. So let me ask you this. So with all those, with all those other rankings, where did the Minnesota Timberwolves rank? 
Dead let the Pel the Pelicans <laughs> were ahead of them in both of those categories, and they come out and beat you by 30. So you're gonna go to Boston as Boston gets healthier. <laughs> no, they they are they are just as at this point, you could you can see 0 and 10 to finish oh, this month. Man. You can it is in it is a it is a I would give it a better than 50% chance at this point. I ain't saying They'll 75, be. 80%, but they could go 0 for 10. They go 0 for 10 now. In the two games they lost before the break, that means you were on a 12-game losing streak, and the franchise record is 13, and that got Alvin up out of there. <laughs> I'm just saying, is it not possible? <laughs> Tell me, if you, when you look at that schedule, show me the wins. I'll show tell you this. I can give you the win. I'm going to give you the win, especially me being here in my Dallas, Texas, because you know I've always loved my Dallas other than Los Angeles and Oregon, of course. But with that, the Dallas Mavericks lost last night because they didn't have Luka nor Chris Boss. So the Pels could actually beat the Mavericks if they don't have Luka. Yeah, Luka don't show up, sure. Yeah, okay. If Luka don't show up, if LeBron is load managing, maybe you can win, maybe, okay. So best case scenario. You hoping that you catch everybody on load management night. So best case scenario, seriously, when we talked about these next 10 upcoming, I thought last night and I go, it would be the best they can do is go two and eight out of these next 10. The probably wound up probably really going to be one and nine. Most likely. Yeah. So season's over. And I was, and of course, season's and of course, over. And like, of course you know me. And of course, you know me and I know you, as we keep telling everybody, we're brothers literally from a different mother, but we were literally born brothers. That being said, we can't give you hope because they've not given us anything to be hopeful of. It is dysfunctional. It is an exercise in frustration if you're trying to find a semblance of looking up when the product has not given you a reason to be. You hope for things that are possible. What they have given us, and people always want to talk the offensive thing. Dave, when you see the Pelicans offense, does it look like they have any semblance or continuity of anything that's going on or what they're supposed to be doing? No clue. So you're not going to win games. We can't, you cannot, we cannot give you anything other than what has been shown to us. The hope that we did have literally fell off the cliff last night behind this performance after the All-Star break. I don't know what they did during the All-Star break. During the All-Star break, I can tell you what we would have done during the All-Star break because I've been in those situations before. We would have been on the phone. Okay, listen, we know Zion is playing in Atlanta. But we got practice as a team together. Or, We're going to work some you, things out. Or even if you take your break, then you should have been watching film on your upcoming opponents. You should have been. Ta- you could talk to each other about those things. You could call. You could be calling Stan and saying, "Coach, I see this. Coach, can we run this play? Can we do this? I have." But they're not engaged that way. And you can nope. get it. You get it from Stan's comments that they don't. They don't get it. And you see when I watch David Wesley. When I watch. Antonio Daniels and you see the frustration and you hear it in their voices and you look at it in their faces as former players who played at high levels on winning teams 
and they watch these guys go through the motions and it hurts them not as not as guys who wish that they were in that position to have no not at all it hurts them as people who were raised to compete as as men who said my job and especially because both of them are role players over the course of their careers yes they were very good role players who did what they had to do to stay around the league for double digit years you don't survive being an undersized shooting guard and a multi-purpose wing without being being somebody that's serviceable at the very least and not a locker room problem Correct. you t- you're good Correct. for the young players those two a professional. guys a professional. this team is literally you're watching it you're watching that team suck the joy of basketball out of them at times Dave, what did I say? From the top, they are nauseating and disrespectful to the game. We are not trying to make a comeback as former players. We're not trying to make a comeback, but we're just telling you what is happening and what is disrespectful to the game. They are disrespecting the game. When Kenny Smith was on prior to the All-Star break and he was talking about the Pelicans, you could hear the frustration in him. This is from the national guys who also played their roles. Bruh. Last night again, last night again, even with Rubio on the bench, Antonio Daniels sitting there saying they're running the same pick and roll over and over again. They're running the same pick and roll, the same one that they ran when they were in Minnesota. They're running the same pick and roll. And not one time did the Pelicans figure out they're running the same pick and roll. No adjustments. No Nas jumping Reed, out. During Nothing. the first game, Nas Reed went off, right? During the first game in Minnesota, Nas Reed, who is a okay player, but brings his energy. Now, he didn't bring it at LSU, but now all of a sudden he found it. When he sees the Pelicans, his eyes light up. Light up. He's getting light free reign. You know, I, I could have told you. You don't have to. If you would have called me, I could tell you the scouting report on Nas Reed is that he wants to shoot the three from the top of the key, and he will put the ball on the floor and go straight to the rim. He doesn't pass. He don't do nothing else. He does those two things. And the Pelicans were not prepared for it again. He drove right by him when he put the ball on the floor. And when he got those threes from the top of the key, he took them and made them. So you knew that the guy's limited. And again, you did nothing to deter him from what he wanted to do. You go up and down that roster and everybody on the team, except for the two most important people on the roster. And Jared Vanderbilt, who's a, a, a rookie, second year guy, whatever. Those three guys have underperformed, and you get waxed by 30. That, that tells you everything you need to know about this team. That's not a blip. That's not your low watermark. This is what you do. You are what you, like, like Shaq said, the big Aristotle, you are what you repeatedly do. The Repelicans repeatedly disappoint you because they don't play with effort on a nightly basis on a quarter to quarter basis on a half to half basis on a possession to possession basis you can't get consistent effort out of that team as and may the most high rest her soul in continued peace as the great maya angelou once said when someone shows you who they are believe them The Pelicans have shown you who they are. Stop trying to make them something that they're not. You can only create something when you have serviceable pieces and parts that are there to give you reason to say, okay, now 
we see what we can be, but they're not. If you have more dysfunction, and granted, everybody has a semblance of some issue, some breakdown, some flaw. We all do in life. But if the greater of the parts are flawed compared to the lesser, you've got a major imbalance. And this is who the Pelicans are. And they're frustrating. They're nauseating. They're dysfunctional. They look lost. They're like deer in the headlight. Any, any analogy you want to put together, unfortunately, this is who they have shown themselves to be. And for you to come out of a break after those, after this all-star break, for you to come out of a break and this is the way that you perform to this level, it is inexcusable. It's inexcusable. You did not come ready to ball at all. We got to move on, D. Gruff. We got to move on. That's brother. that's it for the day, man. Because it's just it's. And I and, and again to the folks who send in questions, basically y'all ask the same question. But there's look, there's no trade that's gonna fix this. None. You can get you can move Eric Bledsoe at this point, but it's too late. It's too late. And then nobody wants Eric Bledsoe. That's no, the other part. But I mean, even you if you have, even if you, you get rid of him at this point. Whatever you get for him, whether it's a second-round pick or whatever, is too late. Like, you can't fix what these guys are at this stage. You can't expect them to become competitors over the second half of the season. They might win some games. But, you know, my projection, I thought they, they might win 33. I don't even see that now. I don't see mm-hmm. 33 wins ahead for this team. And you can say how easy – everybody wants to talk about how easy – schedule ain't easy because at the back end, you still ain't played Golden State yet. You still ain't played the 76ers. Yeah, he played a lot of teams that you still got to finish with. Playoff caliber teams. Nah, it ain't. It's, it's this is even if they get into somehow get into the play-in. Do you think that they're gonna play themselves in? We saw what the bubble did last season that they didn't want to be there. The play-in is this. I would, in all honesty, I would hate for them to get into a playoff. Because it's, it's just another team. It's just I would hate it. It's just another team. It would literally make me throw up if they got into the play-ins simply because of who they are and what they are. But before we go, you're wrong. Oh, yes. I didn't do the list. Well, so, oh, oh, let okay. me give you the list. All right, go ahead. Give me the list. Give me the list. Give me the list. So I'm going to let you answer. I'm not even going to answer these. So All I, right. there's three categories. I'm going to give you things that have happened since David Griffin took over. And you say either it's to his credit, it was a mistake, or it had – it was either just luck or it had no impact at all. all okay. Right? So Zion being drafted number one. Luck. Uh, Lakers move <laughs> up in the lottery. The Lakers moving up in the lottery to make them a better trade partner. Luck. Um, not trading Etuan Moore during last season. Total flaw on, uh, on Griff part. Not drafting DeAndre Hunter and instead dropping back to take Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. <laughs> Flaw, terrible decision. Any other adjective you want to put up in it? Not resigning Christian Wood. Terrible decision. Bringing J.J. Redick back for a second season. Should have been gone after the bubble, and we talked about that last season. Trading with the Bucks and not getting Dante DiVincenzo in the deal. Real bad. Real bad decision, and not and not doing your homework to make sure that that happened. Signing Nikola Melli. 
Oh, man, please. Let that boy go. Should have never been back. Giving Steven Adams a two-year extension. No, sir. No, sir. Because Steven Adams knows who he is based upon the people that he had around him. Griff did not put this roster to construction together, right? Not building the bench for two straight seasons. That's so apparent and obvious to everybody. Horrible. Uh, the, the composition of the front office. We'll give him credit for that. He's hired Give him credit team. for that. He, he, you know, he did put some good people in those positions. But here's the thing about it. Did he put those people in those positions? And are they... Are they allowed to do their jobs? There you go. Bingo. That's what I was about to hit the hand. That's what I was about to hit the nail of the head on. Are they allowed to be involved and engaged? Or was it just for show? Getting uh, the, the new training staff. Give, give, I don't know if it is, because let me tell you why. I, I, I don't see the players looking physically stronger. I don't see the players, because let me tell you why I say that. You see, when you lift weights, it messes your mind up. You get this aggressiveness in you. You get this attitude in you. I don't see it in them. I haven't seen them physically getting stronger. I don't see them attacking the rim with aggression. And if people can see me right now, I'm putting up my arms and my shoulders going into contact. I don't see them embracing it. The only good thing I would say is that maybe they're less injured than they've been. Exactly. And the fact that Zion is actually able to get through a season, which I still say them trying to change his walk and his gait messed him up and caused him more problems because they tried to do the same thing with LeBron instead of realizing LeBron just has a duck walk. Let him walk the way he is. And I think, you know, you, you look at Kyra and you say that's, that's an unknown because I like Kyra, but I, again, the my sample question size is, is not yeah, enough. And my question on that decision is there were more play ready players available when he was picked yeah. Um, and that is something that bothers Pelicans fans. I know is that it's fine to grab talent, but sometimes you, you look, you need to win and you need to win now. And people have to realize too, and it's not to panic, but you have less time than you think to convince Zion Williamson that there's a place he's going to win. And grabbing talent for the sake of grabbing talent without an understanding and a direction of where you're going are two totally different things. That's great to grab talent. But what is your purpose of grabbing that talent and where do you see that going? If you're going to grab talent, but you're going to still keep Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball, that talent is being wasted an entire season when you can build upon something who's going to play better. So that just makes no sense to me whatsoever. You have to have you have to have a goal in mind, an objective in mind. Where do you see this going? What do you want from us? And until you get that, you're going to continue to get the same product. That's great. You can have 12 talented players, but if they all don't cohesively work together and understand what their role and the goal is, you just got 12 guys with talent. It means nothing. It means nothing. And no, you can't go yet because we got to talk about three quick things. I know we're ready to approach an hour and a half. One, I don't know if you saw it or heard about it yet. You probably did, but maybe not. Either way, because you might have been picking up my niece. You might have been picking up baby girl today. That being said, don't you love March Madness and Jawan Howard getting into Mark Turgeon's face today? I didn't see that. You didn't see it yet? I didn't see okay. it yet. Yeah. So I didn't get to watch the Michigan game today. Something was apparently said, and the reason why I bring it up is because, you know, I saw you post your Michigan 
Jordan sneakers, but I didn't post my Oregon Duck Jordan sneakers that we got for the tournament as well yet. Yeah, I'm gonna hit you with it. I'm gonna hit you with it now. But, <laughs> and I thought about this, I go, bro, wouldn't this be apropos if Michigan and Oregon had to face each other? People don't know the fun we would have on that podcast that day with Oregon against Michigan. Oh, I'm Even looking at it now. Oh my, yeah, I'll, hey. <laughs> but here's the deal. Something was said, and they still haven't said exactly what was said, but Jawan is living. He's literally all the way on Maryland's bench. The players had to hold him back. And you know the first thing I thought of? People don't even realize Michigan players are going to run through a wall for Jawan Howard because they know they got a coach who is down for them. And you know, being a former player and coach, there is nothing better than knowing that your coach is in the trenches with you, brother, and ain't taking no shit from nobody. And, I mean, I, they're, they're building a, a, a team. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Juwan was brought back. That's especially his job was to bring but in championship, the championship mentality. Championship and mentality. Those, and he's gotten more out of that team than I expected because they are, they are, they are good, but they, I didn't expect them to win the Big Ten championship this year. Bruh, I got banners hanging in the rafters, and I'm going through hell in Madison Square Garden, and my team just beat Villanova? Yeah. I'm Patrick freaking Ewing. Are you for real? You're finally, you're finally being talked about again in a positive light, and the Hall of Famer, the Patrick Ewing, is going through this, walking through Madison Square Garden. Say first it was Oak, then it was Spike, and now it's Pat. And it makes it, it you are you do not treat the guy who's had season tickets who worked his way. Spike worked people don't From understand Spike worked his way to the, the very top of the garden to get down to those to seats. the floor. Never a problem renewing his tickets. He's been doing it for 30 plus years. Oak. Pat, guys who gave their health for you, gave were warriors in the truest sense of the basketball way. Patrick gave his knees to that franchise. You know what I'm saying? And they put stiffs around him year after year. Like I said, his number is retired. He's in the Hall of Fame. And you're telling me the seven-foot-one giant black dude whose picture is no doubt it all over that arena. All over the garden. At least the one with him and his arms spread when the Knicks finally went to the finals the first, in, in 93. So you going to tell me that dude, that is on Dolan. That is particularly, that is him telling you that I don't want anybody. I don't care who they are. And you have right. that kind of lack of respect for those guys. They don't ask for much. Former players really don't ask for much. I've been around enough of them. You have too. Yes. They just want to know that if I show up, I got a ticket. I got a ticket. I can get no matter it. what. It. If I show up, you gonna put That's me it. somewhere because I gave myself to at that level. That'd be I'm like, not, like I said, it'd be like if Jerry Rice walked into San Francisco and they said, "Who are you? Are you getting?" <laughs> say, people talk about he retired this almost this many years ago, and nobody. That's a. I know who. If Bill Russell rolled up on me, Bill Russell retired before I was born. Bro. I know I'm gonna run up. I know who Bill Russell is. If I if Will Chamberlain had walked up on me, I'm gonna know who that is. And in New York City, you gonna tell me you don't know who Patrick Ewing is? Man, come on. 
And ain't no ticket takers, ain't nobody on security in that in Madison Square Garden under 25 years old. They got people, enough people in the garden that know. He, and how many times has he been back in there since? Come on, man. It's just, it's nonsense. He's been there as an assistant coach with teams. He's been, and you telling me you asked for Patrick's ID, you're doing that on purpose. Right. And yet, and still, for as toxic and dysfunctional as the New York Knicks are, they're better than the they are still over 500, better than the Pelicans, and yet don't have anything the Pelicans had. Last question before you go. Last one before you go. Virginia, now Kansas, Louisville, teams who cannot play in their championship tournaments because of COVID. And we've been talking about this for the longest. Stan Van Gundy made the comment that, and that was a four part, they could kind of go together. Mm-hmm. Stan Van Gundy made the comment, and I have the utmost respect for Stan's social empathy awareness. when it comes to social awareness. And he said that if the NBA was truly concerned about the safety of its players and of its league, as opposed to money, you would see that. With all that being said, this is something that we've been talking about and we've stated in every podcast. This is going to be a situation because I love the fact that Seth Greenberg says, we do not control the virus. The virus is controlling us and dictating to us what goes on. You cannot decide to say, well, you know, we have mitigation measures in, in, in place. Like the virus reads any of that, it could care less about any but of the, that. The, the, the main thing, too, is, look, first is health. But take that out of it. This is, you have destroyed the competitive balance of your turn. Yes. Because there are going to be, and I, you know, doing my color commentary for Tulane, I said this, to, you know, to people all off, off air. But I was like, watching these things, I said, you see how many games got canceled this year? You see. And they're still canceling conference tournament games because one guy gets it. So you have to do it. And I said, so you're going to have NCAA tournament games get, that get forfeited because you can't yep. change the dates. Yep. So teams are going to advance without playing. And as we see in the ACC tournament, you got teams already advanced to the championship and they had to play. Never so played. You it was it made no sense to me to do the conference tournaments at all. First and foremost, you should have just gone back to the old way for this year. Just said the regular season champion gets the automatic bid, and it just falls the way it falls. I'm sorry, but you're gonna try to pod these kids twice and move them to these places. And again, these are college students, okay? And you're not paying them, okay? All right, this 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 is not going to be be well. And granted, we all know. This is a capitalistic society. Everything is about money. And we sometimes we sometimes are all enablers in this system of dysfunction that is taking place. Mm-hmm. But enough is enough, man. This has to stop. It has to. Because you have, like you said, you have an unfair balance in the overall landscape of what is taking place. And you don't know long-term effects on people's health. And let me tell you, you can have every conference, every league you want. But yes, as much of this being a capitalistic society 
and it's all about money. If you don't have healthy players, you don't have games, you don't make money. And nobody's going to tune in if some of your big name teams are gone by week one because of COVID, by the end of the first weekend because of COVID or because they have players who couldn't play and they lose to some. Look, it's everybody likes upsets first weekend, but you really don't want too many because TV needs the Dukes who won't even be in you the You need tournament. the Blue Blood, so to speak. You, you won't be in Kentucky. Ain't going to be in the tournament. I mean, like, you have major names that ain't going to be in the tournament this year already. So if you think that the ratings are going to be high for this tournament, you're sadly mistaken because there are no players that anybody knows outside of a couple. Maybe, you know, if you're watching the draft for the NBA draft, you know about the Cade Cunninghams and such. But the average fan who is what drives the NCAA tournament, the people Mm -hmm. who don't know basketball, who are just casuals, who drive your revenue. And how are you going to bet? You know what I'm saying? Like gambling is going to be so off because no one knows how good any of these teams are because none yep. of them were tested properly because like, and I'm talking about it during their games, they didn't right. play the schedules that would have really shown you who they are and who they are not. So this is going to be throwing darts at the board to guess the seedings for some of these teams. And what will it matter? You're going to, like I said, it's going to change the entire scope of this tournament. It's a farce and they shouldn't have done it. On that note, my brother, Go ahead and end it the way you do, family. Y'all know how to follow us. At Dino underscore Hoops 11. And at DM Grub. Instagram, Twitter, they're the same. H-I-T-P with DG.com. And we're going to be back again next Friday. And there'll be a lot of games between now and then. Hopefully, hey, hopefully there'll be something better. But until then, until then, y'all just, y'all hang in there and love one another. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Stay safe, man. Stay safe, man. Greatly appreciate everybody. As always, man, we got to give a shout out to those listeners yes. and those who ask the questions. We greatly appreciate y'all. We love the we love the engagement that you guys have with us. And we're going to keep doing this, man, because we appreciate you guys the way you appreciate and embrace us. You know? So we talk to y'all next week and have a great weekend. This has been High Low. All right, my brother. Yeah.